Can't even find the mic on switch. These are uh, like 30 second generation headphones because I forgot to bring my own in. It is disgusting in here. This is, you know, there used to be when I first started working in radio, there was this uh, stereotype of the dirty radio person. Like show up to work wearing... You can say it, a Dodgers hat and a hoodie. No, we're, we're no, but no. I was going to say sweatpants and a ripped shirt. Mm. You know, no it's just like the greasy, a real greasy look. And that sometimes the studio would be just gross because there's a lot of dudes in there and it was nasty. And Sportsnet it's, came in here, is clean everything up. It's real professional, real professional stuff. And then you walk into this studio today and it's like, <laughs> Armin's back there so worried you're going to say something he's going to have to cut you off. No, you're fine. It's disgusting in here. Like, he's got you, his finger over the, like, I, call okay. the bosses do you remember, button. Do you remember in, like, elementary school where you'd pay a kid to lick the floor? <laughs> I would 1,000% lick the floor of my elementary school or junior high than the table in here. Like, there's no doubt about it. Sight unseen, Floor lick immediately over this. This is just, this is terrible. We got to, somebody's got to be called on this. Someone's going to be reprimanded for this. Okay. This is, this is not right. This we're going to have some right. conversations about where Jay's Talk Plus is being held this summer. Cause I was in here the last two summers. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get it all fixed it's, up. It's still amazing to me that this was someone's big design idea too. Like someone came in here and went, I got it. And they, and they all said, wow, what a great idea. Not facing each other around a big toilet bowl? <laughs> this is good. This is what you want to have. Uh, yeah. How about have it be cavernous <laughs> with too many screens? Uh-huh. Yes? Oh, that's good. That's good. Let's do it that way. Anyways, enough of me trying to get fired. <laughs> enough of me criticizing you, the You company. trying to get the Dennis Schroeder treatment here. Okay. Here, there's, there's a pivot uh, for you. Yeah. All right. I was devastated for you guys yesterday. I genuinely... <laughs> my first thought was that is... Did, did they automatically just go and get a backup plan? So you know he was supposed to be on the show yesterday. Yeah, of course. So he's he was Blake scheduled Murphy's for... the Raptor show. They have Dennis Schroeder every single week. Yeah, so he was scheduled for one thirty. Um, mm-hmm. His camp up until... And I don't know if I should say this, but I'll say it anyway. Yeah, his yeah. camp up until like... That's what I do. End of business Wednesday was like fairly sure he was sticking around. They were like, yeah, business as usual. He'll come on at one thirty. Um, So that trade either came together late or or they were not you know super in the loop about what was going on there, at least as recently as like Wednesday afternoon. Um, So that was a bit surprising. And then, man, we missed the like the dream sports radio scenario by like 35 minutes where just hold off on leaking that trade until he's on the air with us. We could have broke it to him. Yeah. Overall, though. So close. Overall, with that, I know the Raptors were kind of involved, so this market was engaged, but that's about as horrific of a trade deadline as you're ever going to get. Pure quantity over quality. There were, I think, between Wednesday and Thursday, there were 16 or 17 trades, and the Mm. biggest name that got dealt was Buddy Heald. Oh, really? I was going to say, that's so funny. I was going to do Rorschach test with you of who do you think was the biggest name that was traded? Do you not think it's Buddy Heald? No, I I thought it was P.J. Washington. Okay. 
I mean, I, you're a college basketball guy, though, so yeah, I, I feel like his recent or not. No, he sucks. Recent, he's like six years in the NBA. This is how no. uh, broken. But like Buddy Hield is the I'll say Buddy Hield is the best player who got traded. Maybe it, PJ has a bit more of a name. For- no, here's my here's my PJ case. I have no idea what's really happened to him over the last what four years. Did I you know watched the, the Raptors Hornets game the yeah, other night. That's, that's you know what point. happened. That's my point, though, is there's nothing that could make me watch the Charlotte Hornets. Um, that's it. That is. So I, I, I know Brandon Miller's having a good season. Mm-hmm. I watched the Hornets once this year. They, they don't even have your boy Terry Rozier anymore. No, that's it. But they traded or sorry. They, they had that game against Carl Anthony towns that I was forced to watch. Yeah. And so I went and turned on the Hornets and I said, this is still what they're doing, huh? Yeah. Oof. So PJ Washington is probably one of the biggest winners of the trade deadline. Cause yeah. he goes from Charlotte where no one was watching. Nobody remembered, but every like you, all you P- have to do PJ is shoot Washington the ball still a like, Oh, he's in the league still yeah. kind of guy. If you're not on league pass every night and now he gets to be a Luca spot up three merchant. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's the job. Yeah. Stand in the corner. I did. I did watch the Mavs yesterday and they were playing a Knicks team that had no one on the roster. Yeah. And so it wasn't a lot of takeaway stuff from it. Yeah. But I will say that I do like the Mavs adding another guy who is just big and athletic. They and also added Daniel Gafford as a backup center, which yeah, big Rashawn Holmes upgrade. So. Yeah, that's good. And plus the Lively kid has been in and out of the lineup mm-hmm. all year. So it's nice to have a little bit of a hedge for him. So, yeah, yeah I thought the Mavs did all right. Anyway, either, the point of this, though, is that we're talking about people that a lot of you are listening to this are saying, I don't know who that is. Like, I, or I don't, don't, I don't care about yeah, that yeah, person. Yeah, I, and I don't really give a crap because that's yeah. what it was. The, yeah. the NBA trade deadline was a bit of a dud. But the Raptors did, th- much like in the NHL, all of the heavy lifting was done well ahead of the deadline. So you should be able to be used to that. But the Raptors, they have a day where they grab Oche Agbaji and Kelly Olenek, uh for their worst first in this year's draft, mm-hmm. Otto Porter's contract, and Kiara Lewis, who I think you even you tried for a second to be like, you could be so. Like, I liked Kyra yeah, Lewis yeah, a lot yeah. coming out of college. He was a lotto pick, and he yeah. was like the fastest guy in the draft. <laughs> sure. But he just he never really got it back yeah, after yeah. the ACL injury. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they got Thad Young, or sorry, they got Spencer Dinwiddie for a split second, uh, and Dennis Smith Jr. No, Dennis Smith Jr. was not in. So Woj came back after and was like, "Yo, my bad. Okay, I, was I go- mixed up Dennis Schroeder and Dennis Smith Jr. Okay. as I was sending the tweet." I was going to say this is the most. Confusing so there's no part Dennis Smith Jr. Was I was looking back? I saw that original tweet. I wrote it down, and yeah. then I was looking back, and the tweet was deleted. Yeah, and then I didn't see any other Dennis Smith Jr. things, and I went. I actually, that was my favorite part of the trade. Do, do you know how weird it is for someone in my position who yeah. is live on air and is obviously not going to um, break news in the same way uh-huh. Woj is to have to be like, my bad, Woj messed up. Uh-huh. Like, that is, yeah. and it's like, obviously no it's a you. small thing. No one believes um, you. Well, people believe me. People, the Woj tweet was out there. People uh-huh. were screenshotted. Yeah, but then he deletes the, it. E- even Dennis Smith Jr. was tweeting about it. Like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So only Dinwiddie uh, for a quick moment. So overall, they end up, with R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, Kelly O, Agbaji, uh, and just two, f- no, yeah, two first-round picks, mm-hmm. one in 2024, one in 26, right? And the second-round pick, that is the Detroit Pistons, which yeah. will be the highest pick in the second round. So pick what, like? 31, yeah, 31. or in like the 31 to 34 range because yeah. Detroit has sneaky, like caught up to Washington and Charlotte they, almost. They lose Schroeder. Uh, kind of a first that they, it was a way station first. Yeah. Right. In this year's draft, Thad Young, Otto Porter, Siakam, 
Precious Achua, who's now amazing and a fan favorite in New York, who they're, who's killing it for them, who they've given a cool nickname to that they love. Ariel Hawani sends me a text every yeah. Knicks game going, I can't believe he was a throw-in. Yeah. OG Ananobi and uh, Malachi Flynn. Who, Malachi Flynn, who's now a Piston. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know what? He is a Piston. He's, <laughs> He's very much a Piston. They looked at Killian Hayes in yeah. year four and were like, now nah, we're done with this. Let's, let's try Malachi Flynn in year four. So... I'm going to ask you for two separate grades. I'm going to ask you yeah. for the grade overall and the grade for yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the grade overall is probably like a C plus. Oof, good grade. Like, a, I was gonna, I'm going lower than that. Okay. Yeah. I just, like, part of this is couched in, like, I'm glad they finally made a decision. Yep. Um, that's, you, the, that's the vast majority of my ranking, yeah, too. Yeah, you, you know how I feel about how they dragged out the Siakam thing, and I think they left value on the table relative to what was available in the off season. So that colors the grade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do like quickly and Barrett. I know quickly is not off to the best start here, uh, but quickly and Barrett are good. Those two firsts will be valuable. Even if you don't love this draft, like firsts are firsts. Um, they get you real draft pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to run back the Bruce Brown or the Pascal Siakam while flexibility loses value over time thing with Bruce Brown. Like they were hammering yesterday. They're like, Oh, he's got the flexible contract and things like that. I don't know that a team's going to give you more on draft night or July 1st for a guy on an expiring deal than they would have given you yesterday when you get two playoff runs with that guy and you get the flexibility of that contract. Can I make one interjection on the Bruce Brown thing, though? That was actually something I understood because, like, I talked to Grange on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and he said, don't get bogged down in all the Milwaukee's interested in Bruce Brown stuff. You were getting essentially the... The Fred Van Vliet is being pursued by the Los Angeles Clippers treatment, right. which is they don't have anything to give you. Unless you're interested in Pat Connaughton, then you're, you're not making a deal with the Bucks. There were two teams. Those teams were the Knicks, yeah. and those team, and the other team was the Mavericks. And both of those teams made different moves. And if you were the Knicks, you had to make that Bogdanovich move over what the Raptors would have cost you because you didn't have to trade a first. You absolutely fleeced the Pistons. You killed them in the trade to the point mm-hmm. where somehow in a year with all lows for Detroit – they're getting mocked even more. I saw Jaden Ivey even yesterday had another amazing game. He's had yeah. two straight. This coach that they paid more than anybody in the NBA was benching him. He got the full mid-level. Unbelievable stuff in Detroit. Like, truly unbelievable yeah. stuff. And It's so weird that the Knicks are good and smart. Yeah, you know, but so the Knicks make that move. And then the Mavs, to me, I, I think that you'd rather have Bruce Brown. Like, mm-hmm. you just he's a better basketball player than P.J. Washington. Yep. Like, he just, he just is. And I think that he's an easier, he's a, a smoother fit. P.J. Washington is more... You're selling the Mavericks on an idea um, more than you are on proof of concept. Or you're just over-indexing to the three-point shooting at the expense of other Sure. But with the Brown thing, I thought it was defensible because once those teams made moves, I'm glad that the Raptors didn't just try to grab another first in this year's draft when they view it so poorly that they were willing to throw one in to get... Let's frankly say it, like an expiring Kelly Olenek, which would have been, I think, a little bit more valuable to some playoff teams. Doesn't make as much sense yeah. on the Raptors, frankly, as much as I love it because I'm a big Olenek fan. And I'll yeah, I would have loved to see him play playoff but, basketball. Yeah, that's it. He, he definitely belonged on a different team. I thought if he could have gone somewhere even like the Cavs, that would have been, you know, just somewhere. Go to Miami. Go anywhere. Go anywhere that's actually going to be playing playoff games. But then Agbaji, we'll get into it. I, I liked him in college. I mm-hmm. thought that he's flashed. But, I, you know, you did a great two minutes yesterday on <laughs> Agbaji on the Raptor show. You went on a tear being like, this is exactly what this guy is. And I got excited. And then I 
And so I, I might have known that Abaji was like a real possibility and sure. dug in on the uh, the old tape uh, sure. yesterday morning before that, I, that came down. But I will say that as much as we can talk about like the catch and shoot corner threes and all this, I was like, this guy, yeah, he's he's a 23-year-old that is getting traded by Danny Ainge at the deadline yeah. who, who hasn't really been able to carve out any minutes on a team that was basically giving everyone a look to see what their future was going to hold. I'm a, I think Danny Ainge is the new Masai Ujiri in terms of if you make a trade with that organization, you're like, uh, why didn't you want him? I can see that to some extent. I will say Ainge has only won one championship in like 20 plus years yeah. as an executive. So I don't know that we need to like bow at the altar uh, too, too much. But you would but, agree that it's a lot of good moves. Yeah, look, like the track record Utah, is Utah took 18 months of Abaji, and what I, the impression I got from talking to Utah people, and there aren't many of them, um, yeah. is that One like... One a Canadian guy though, right? Yeah, people Ben Dowsett, yeah. Oh, is that a um, yeah. So oh, like uh, Abaji, they showed up to Summer League this year and they're like, well, he's a high lottery pick for, or a lottery pick from a major program where he played four years. Oh. And this, he's coming off a rookie year where he was solid but not good. We're going to give him the keys mm-hmm. at Summer League and he just wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you're an overage prospect in year two of summer league, and you yeah. don't, that is like league wide. That's a bit of a not a red flag, but a yellow flag. Mm-hmm. So yes, I understand what you're saying in that. Danny Ainge and the Jazz got 18 months of this guy. Looked at it and said, we'd rather have a do over, even if it's later in the first round. Yeah. Um, I can also see the Raptors side where like, hey, we have three picks in the 20 to 33 range. We're not going to use all that. We're not going to bring all those guys in. We'd rather get a guy who is a little further along their personal relationships. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean. That's I'm, always good. But, but, but the point I'm making here is yes. that the value of that first round pick that the Raptors is traded. Lower. No, the one that they traded away oh. was worth Agbaji and Kelly Olynyk. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather not trade Bruce Brown for a similarly valued pick in this year's right. draft. What I would rather the Raptors do, and my hope is, my hope is that Bruce Brown, now that the, t- the deadline has passed, and given his track record as an athlete, which is, this guy's not a disruptive figure in other places, and he's happy to be paid, and he gave his ten grand to be a Raptor, that now he buys in a little bit more. Because the Bruce Brown I was watching pre-deadline was very much like, I don't care, I'm a mercenary. It's been I'm, tough. Yeah, it, it, it's not been good good basketball from him, right? And no one was really talking about it because the Raptors have been focused on other things and basically the only measure of success is what Scotty Barnes and Manuel quickly do every night. Yeah. But I get it. He was not good. Now I'm hoping that he plays well, that the Raptors can push themselves out of this lottery position that kicks the pick over. the Give the Spurs your pick in this year's draft. Carry over to 2025 where that pick is going to have more value. You can have more control over whether you're going to be bad. But the other thing is, Part of Bruce Brown's appeal, to me anyways, looking at it, was if you were a contender and you bought him and you were afraid of the luxury tax implications next year, you didn't have to pick up the team option. So the idea that it was like the always two championship runs with him, I wasn't sure that that was the thing. Like if Donovan Mitchell became available to the Knicks this year, they had to make the calculation of how are we going to free up money? We're either going to use this contract to go get him or we're not going to buy into this contract. One of the two. My thinking would be, or my hope at least maybe, my hope would be that the Raptors still will be able to recoup some value moving forward from Bruce Brown's contract or Bruce Brown, the player, and that it's something that is down the line that you do have more certainty of rather than have yet another 2024 pick that, again, these guys, they don't love this draft. So like they've told you in every which way they do not love this draft yeah. by 
going out and getting Kelly Olenek, trading away one of the picks that they got, and yet that was the, the haul yes. they ended up getting for Siakam. It's really tough. Yeah, although they do have, like, all their scouts, like, on the road right now trying to figure it out. Well, There's, they better because guess what? It's it, you, you trade, got two of them. You trade Pascal Siakam, and you yeah. have the potential to have this many picks in this draft, and it's, uh, yeah, you better so get somebody. With, with respect to Brown, you're right that he's still going to have value on draft night on July 1st or clearing out the cap space, and I went through some of those scenarios in a piece at sportsnet.ca uh, last night that's up now and goes into some of the cap scenarios. Like, you could clear just insane amounts of cap space if you really want. And Bruce Brown's flexibility is part of that. All I'm saying is that all that value that you just described, if a team traded for him now, they get this year of of Bruce Brown and they acquire all that value in the contract and the flexibility. So there's just a little less. Like, I I think it's going to be, and and we'll see how it plays out, obviously, but like it, it is a mini version of the Siakam situation where you still get a good return, but you probably look back and it's like, Ah, could I have gotten Andrew Nembard instead of that third superfluous first if I did this deal mm. in the offseason? With Bruce Brown, it's going to be, you know, I, I don't know. Grange reported at one point that there was a first on the table for Bruce Brown, and he implied that some of the haggling was like, well, maybe you don't want another 2024 first. You're I'm trying saying. to get a future first. Yeah, no, but that's it. Um, and, and if you're if you're getting a few, if you were getting a first round pick in this year's draft for mm-hmm. Bruce Brown, I'm saying I'm okay with the Raptors going. Right. Hey, we're just gonna see. What happens? Yeah. We'll roll the dice on this because we don't view acquiring our fifth pick at the time in this draft that's in the it top It would be 32. so funny. Like, imagine they just traded Bruce Brown and didn't do the Jazz pick, and they have, like, five yeah. picks in the 20 no, that, to 33 range. That, that's what I'm saying. They're that's just, like, I'm okay stacking I think Abajis. I think it's a reasonable – you can draw a reasonable line of, hey, the Raps could end up finding a team that's desperate. Bruce Brown could end up looking good. A team sees the fit, sees the contract, wants to be able to get out of it with the expiring – and they're a late 2025 pick, and they say, yeah, we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a reasonable thought to have over, hey, let's just grab the 2024 because we don't want to panic. I get it because the history of Masai has been all of his gambles waiting on trading someone have backfired. Uh, but this one in particular, I was, I was okay with. So yeah, flexibility is good. It just like the value of it slightly decreases as you get closer to that decision point is all. Um, now in terms of, can you pick up a pick for Bruce Brown at the draft? I I actually, and I, I, Bobby Webster's on our show today at two, at two Oh five. Um, he's not going to answer this, but what I'm trying to get a sense of is so in in the sportsnet.ca piece I wrote up, like the Raptors could clear like. 60 million in cap space yeah. if they really wanted to. They're not going to do that. Like, you're going to re-sign quickly to a new deal. It sounds like they're going to sign Olenek to a new cheaper deal at some point. You know, maybe Gary or Bruce stick around or whatever. But you have the flexibility to create that monster cap space. That also gives you a ton of trade flexibility. We heard, like, a number of times from the Mark Steins and Woges and stuff like that this trade season of, oh, all these second apron teams are so limited. You know, they can't do that much. The restrictions coming are even worse for yeah. them starting this year. I actually do think this is like and this isn't this isn't the argument for doing your trade deadline this way but it's a side note that you it it might not be a bad summer to be uh like a cap space predator where it's like hey we can we'll facilitate some trades we'll take on some money we'll give you bruce brown and take back a longer term contract and pick up assets that way um it's not the sexiest thing but like that's how i love that that's how okc and utah have built up their asset base right it's like hey we're not we're we're not ready to sign guys who help us win right now yet let's rent out that cap space pick up a couple extra picks for it um you know it's the presti model yeah that's i was gonna say that's uh, that's a pretty universally loved model Mm -hmm. although troy weaver has really botched it in detroit yeah, well, I, there are outliers. There's yeah, but no, no, no. Let me say this though. I think there's a big difference between being a perennially bad tanking team that also just ends up making bad moves yeah. 
versus being a team that looks at what they are realistically and says they'll take on a bad contract, knowing that it's going to be a bad contract, not that it's going to be some type of asset they're going to take in here. Like, this is why I didn't like the Wiggins idea, right? Because people thought, all right, take back this bad contract. Maybe the Warriors will give you a ton, and then you could potentially recoup value on Wiggins. I'm like, there's no recouping value on Wiggins to me. No. That's, that's a fantasy that if you're thinking about this, that is a you're taking that money and you are accepting that you're going to have a guy that's not going to deliver on the contract during the, the, the entire tenure of it. Maybe you get off of it during its final year. I hate to do this to your boy, but like, look at Davis Bertans. The Thunder got paid to yeah. take his contract yeah. on. And Davis then what, Bertans entire and then once he was that contract. Yeah, they got paid yeah. to take that contract on. And once he was uh, not expiring as a small guarantee next year, but then they turn yeah. him into uh, Gordon Hayward for the yeah. playoff push. Like that's that's a thing that you can do with these guys. Anyway, that's not that shouldn't be headline item number one in your offseason. Sure. But uh, when, when Webster sits there yesterday and uses the term, like oh optionality of reduced guaranteeds um yeah it's not why i did this here's let me tell you that this is a good way to transition to the next trade though because schroeder i I don't get this trade at all like i I understand why they did it in terms of okay you get off 13 million dollars schroeder schroeder is a good basketball player schroeder is a good basketball player i wonder if a little element of it was that they wanted to get Darko off of playing him as much or the whatever. Scott Hatterberg money ball thing. Yeah, but we got to trade Carlos Pena so that you finally play Scott Hatterberg. But trading Dennis for what as, as nothing for nothing, literally nothing, literally nothing. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how a guy that you just invested a two year contract in thirteen million is not a lot. No. Dennis Schroeder making thirteen million, especially next year, is. Beyond fine. If this team is trying to round out a sensible roster, hmm. and to me, when you're trying to find out what you have in guys, they have to be able to play with other good players. It's, I mean, they keep telling us that because they do Jakob Pertl and yeah. Kelly Olynyk things and say, yes. we value this. So Dennis, Dennis Schroeder, a guy who had bought in with the Raptors, was vocal about having compete level on this team, was giving you good minutes, and you move them for nothing? Like, this wasn't a player that you would rather just hold on to into the offseason? Like, this is my thing about the Bruce Brown thing. Why are you making a move if it's going to literally return you nothing? So, and, and like, even in Bruce Brown's case, if, say, the, you didn't love the draft assets or whatever, at least in that case, the Raptors could be like, well, we've got, like, seven wing forwards we need to get money for. They don't have a point guard on the team no. uh, other than Emmanuel Quickly. Um, so, yeah, this we're is... We're already getting too much Emmanuel Quickly. This is a straight salary dump. They take on, once you prorate the contracts, about $1 million extra this year to get out of the $13 million next year. That's all it is. But you're right. Like, $13 million expiring for Dennis Schroeder, who is probably not a starting caliber point guard, but if he's your backup point guard, you're in really good shape. A 13 million one year contract for a good backup point guard in this salary cap environment is really good value. Mm -hmm. So they have basically just punted on that. And some of it is like the flexibility, but also like you're telling me you couldn't find a home for Dennis Schroeder for free on draft night or July 1st. You absolutely could have. So I will ask you, you know, like in addition to the forcing Darko's hand, maybe like, you could probably read between the lines there about what the relationship between Schroeder and the organization had that's, gotten like at this that, point, that's, right? That's kind of the the next one. Is and go, like we tiptoed around it at times when he'd come on the show. Like he yeah. had that that blow up a little yeah. bit after the around the Pistons loss. Uh, we asked him about that. There the time he went to the bench, we kind of asked him about that. Um, you know, and there was some obviously he knows ahead of time he's coming on with us, so he's not going to be emotional. He's going to have his his answers like somewhat ready. Um, but yeah, there have been yeah, a couple friction. Yeah, there there have been a couple friction points there. And look, all the reporting has been 
and everything I've heard is like he really didn't like how the move to the bench was handled relative to like what he was told prior to the season his role was going to be and what they envisioned for him. So, um, you know, I don't think he was like a bad soldier or anything like that. Like, I don't think he was being a problem, but there was clearly a, a disconnect had grown to where the Raptors were just like, now nah, we will just basically the trade equivalent of declining the option for next year, even though it's, it's not an option like, like Detroit or uh, Brooklyn rather just got a free backup point guard. Yeah. Did, what did I text you when the Raptors acquired RJ Barrett? I don't know. Ouch. No, I was kidding. Uh, I tweeted it too that a really important oh, component the of getting him yeah, yeah, yeah. was that he's a real culture player. He's a shows up to work every single day the same way guy. Ask anybody around the Knicks that was a fan or a media member. RJ Barrett is the model of consistency when it comes to attitude, work ethic, uh, effort, all of those things, right? Real lunch pail type of player. I thought, man, you really need this. You really need to have a guy who scores points on your team, who's one of the faces of your team now, who has bought into this thing or who will buy into this thing and carry some good energy around the organization. I thought pairing him with Schroeder was going to be an amplifier for this type of a step forward for the organization, which is we're not going in the tank. We're not going to be the Charlotte Hornets. We're not just going to let Scotty Barnes and Emmanuel quickly dribble the basketball into the ground and then take horrible shots. What we're going to do is we're still going to move the basketball. We're going to have a team concept. We're going to try to win games, and we're going to find out more information about our players through quality play. If we lose games, we don't care. We want to develop, but we're not going into these games with there's zero stake involved. To me, losing Dennis Schroeder was actually the scariest part of the day by far because that what you just said to me about the friction and that kind of boiling over into a point where all of a sudden you're saying, yeah, we're getting rid of a, a quality player for literally nothing. This is, people here go, well, you couldn't let Fred Van Vliet walk for nothing. Oh, well, you have to trade this guy because you don't want to let him walk for nothing. Dennis Schroeder isn't those players, right? He's not Fred Van Vliet. But you let him walk for nothing. That is what you just did with Dennis Schroeder, a player who clearly has value in the league. And part of it, at least, you can delineate or you can kind of draw from it that it has to do with culture issues. And this is now another year where Masai came into the season with the mandate of what? We're going to be a, a, a more together basketball team. Less our, selfish. Our team isn't going to be as selfish. Our team is going to have a better culture. That is a big part of who we are. And now I'm looking at it after all these trades and thinking, damn, might be worse. <laughs> And, like, look, they'll point to, well, we brought RJ in, and RJ is part of that. We brought Kelly Olenek in. That's part of that. Bruce Brown is part of that. The other, except for those guys are, all, like, all mercenaries, except for RJ, who, yeah. 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 Uh, so the other element of this is, at some point, and, like, also, look, I know Raptors fans were tired of hearing about this about them, but, like, that and Otto were those guys, too, and those guys are out. Those guys are outbound because they're just – they were human trade exceptions at that yeah. point, which I, I hate to say, but, like, no, that's why Thad's option got picked up. That's – you know, you got nothing for either of those guys. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a void there now. I also – you also lost Pascal and OG, who aren't, like, traditional-style leaders either, but they had the, like, long-term organization. You know how many players are on the roster right now who were on the roster the day before the trade deadline last year? Three. I got to tell you, I, I like you gave them a C plus. I think it's lower than that. What, talking through it now. I, I think, I think after all of this, to me, this is a D okay. because if you factor in, like, I, I think that there's actually more of a case. So for this is F. the difference between us where a C plus is a really bad grade for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> for me, 
C-plus wasn't bad. I was kind of gunning for C-pluses a lot. Yeah. I won't lie. Now, we'll say when we'll you s- don't do your homework and you just do the test, we'll you say really it's a C. C and, like, last year's deadline was, like, lower than that because I was, like, I mean, we did this last year's deadline. I was pretty frustrated at at the Pirtle price mm-hmm. and then also just the, the lack of firm direction choosing. Um, but that's it. I, I feel like the biggest part of the grade that you can give in terms of being happy about this, and we're all colored by it. We're all colored by this idea of, okay, good, the Raptors picked a direction. And so there's some level of positivity because you and I and others, everyone has been asking for exactly this, right? Like Mm -hmm. pick a direction, make some moves. But when I'm looking at every single one of the moves, there's not one of them that I can say they won. Like the OG trade, we're going to see years from now, right? But let me just put, put it this way. If the Knicks before yesterday's deadline, even with him hurt, had decided we're going to trade OG and Anobi. Here's my guess. They would have gotten more than Emmanuel quickly on an expiring deal that you have to pay 20, a lot of money. Jake Fisher told me it was like, yeah, it's going to be in the 20. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think he's going to get the Devin Vassell contract okay. that, that's been out there as a comp. Either, either way. Um, this you, is where like weirdly, like it's, a, it's okay that he hasn't played that well yet. Uh, I feel like his price is yeah. kind of set though. But and like, I, I don't Raptors, know that he gets the full like five one thirty five that was out there as a comp. My only thing is, yeah. is it's kind of like the Gary Trent Jr. thing where you've traded for the guy and you go, well, we have the leverage, right? And then you say, no, you don't. All yeah, of a sudden, Masai, yeah, all of a sudden, Masai is flying down. Where did he meet Gary Trent Jr.? Remember, he went to that table with Gary Trent Jr. Oh, yeah. and he signed the two year contract. Either way, I have the same vibe of this. All I'm, my point is, if you traded OG today, I think his value would be higher than what the Raptors received for him. The Siakam deal, to anybody who thought it was a good trade at the time was not correct. This was this was a real, really, really bad decision to the point where even when I was looking at yesterday, I said, why wouldn't you just wait this one out like two more minutes? The Pacers-Knicks playoff series is going to be so painful. You lost Dennis, you lost Dennis Schroeder for nothing. Yeah. I got to get Dennis Smith Jr. off of my sheet. Yeah. <laughs> I have it there. I can see how Woj made the mistake as I was doing yeah. that. And then you turned one of the first round picks into Agbaji, who I think you're at best. What do you, what's the at best you could hope for with like reasonably that this guy's the eighth, ninth man on your team? Yeah, I think yeah. he has a path to being a top eight rotation guy. Right now, he looks more like a, a depth role player. He has more potential as a point of attack sure. defender than he's shown like yeah. he's he's good defensively he's strong he's like one of the best transition defenders in the league but i'm just but saying offensively as now, yeah, yeah offensively he's like a transition player and then he can hit a catch and shoot corner three and there's not a lot like he i, I mentioned this on the show yesterday i think or i included in an article or something but when you look at the stats for like how often guys dribble yeah. he's in there with like yeah, like Jakob Pertle types, like the the guys who are just like in the paint a lot. Now some guys can thrive like that. Like Sadiq Bay is right next to him. Sadiq sure. Bay is as a as a kind of three and D and offensive rebound guy. That player archetype can have a spot in the league for a long time, but yeah. he's just he's not quite there yet as a point of attack defender. And there's really like maybe maybe it comes. I, I liked his offensive game better at Kansas than he's shown in, in the NBA so far. But like if all you are offensively is transition and. and corner three stationary corner three is like you're always going to be trying someone else in that role so yeah. right now i think like yeah you're trying to turn him into like a good bench piece is, is the interim goal here's the way to summarize this do you think there's any trade that you go no they they definitely won that trade uh no yeah. i mean i i think the Knicks trade has the potential to if quickly becomes what we think he can be and rj is is a better version of himself but that would be a win-win well rj Not has a- to be what he has been so far for the raptors yeah and, and by quickly the way, has to be better quickly has to be 
way better. Yeah. The quickly, you want the truth serum because I'm, listen, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the old studio. I'm kind of grumpy and I'm. Mm. Quickly looks exactly like what he was on the Knicks, which is a really good energy backup guard. So I, far. I'm not, I'm not, and I, this is not a write-off. I get no, he's young. 16 games as a starter. That's but lots of time. So far, so far, my experience has been, yeah, it's fun. I like him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, but this is a, a league that's very deep at that position. It's hard for me to think that one day he's going to be top what does he have to be? Twelve for the Raptors to win that trade? Yeah, top twelve point. So, like I, I, I think when, when I did the the trade, I said like if he can get to where you know one or two years there there are conversations about like could he be the the eleven twelfth guy yeah, on the All Star team? Can he get to the Fred Van Vliet level? Of yeah, a fringe All Star, fringy All Star guard. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. We'll, we'll I'm see. Concerned. Like the Pascal trade, they're not winning. Like even if you hit Uh-oh. on one of those late picks, like no. it was still a late pick. You're not no. winning that trade. No. Um, maybe you could have got there in terms of win-win if you turned around and traded Bruce Brown for like an unprotected 2026 first or something like that. And then it looks like four picks and um, sure. you didn't win that one. The Nets one is a pure salary dump where like, awesome. cool, the flexibility is nice, but whatever. And then the first for Abaji and Olenek is like, like at best, that'll net be neutral. a neutral. Yeah. yeah, that's a net neutral. Yeah. Yeah. And and like this stuff can be fine. You can do four neutral neutral ish trades or, or three neutral trades and a trade you lose. And because of the way it sets up your deck for the offseason, you you end up okay. But this is where like when I did the cap breakdown piece, weirdly like a boring deadline like this had so many extra cap wrinkles. Um like so much of the analysis is like, okay, well, you're super flexible now, but now you gotta use it. So it, it is like it's a C grade and then uh, like, and I hate doing this because they've made us do this a couple off seasons in a row. It's like, okay, well now let's see what you do with all this flexibility that you've built. Like you, you, you can't say flexibility is the main thing you took away from the deadline if you're not going to use that flexibility well this summer. Like so the the, it should be about years of control yeah. and then they turn that into years of no good players having control. Yeah. I'd love to have six years control of a guy who will never get out of double A. Yeah. It's good. They got a lot of years of control of Anthony K. Yeah. That was good. Great. Yeah, Good it, stuff. There was a lot of years of control of Anthony K. Yeah. And look, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they, they have a really great offseason. They they maybe. sign someone in free agency. They get Emmanuel quickly on a decent deal. They trade Bruce Brown for a pick that looks, you know, it looks good in the the draft cash. But, like, it's hard to sit here the day after the deadline and be like, well, the best thing that they did is they can do stuff in the summer. Mm. That's hard, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty nervous. Not gonna lie, because there's a there's there's some ugly scenarios here. Like there's some really ugly scenarios with what happens moving forward. And my main thing, and I, I talked about this with Will, it was last week or two weeks ago, is it's very clear that they've got to try to find out really what they have in Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. Like, can he be a number one, or is he going to look like a good number two, or how is is he going to be a great number three? That's the those are the sort of boxes that I think that you're going to be able to put him in. Um, I think he's at worst a really good number two. I, I don't know. Like, it, I don't know. The way the NBA works, you need three guys. But, like, mm-hmm. the new environment, like the new CBA environment, we're probably headed back toward big twos instead sure. of big threes. But, um, anyway. Like he's an all-star. Yeah. Um, it's not gospel. But I did see, I, I looked through the, and I actually think this is a really bad ranking. But I did look through Bill Simmons' trade value oh, column. I think he had Scotty Barnes in the 50s. He did, but he also, like, yeah. I, I didn't read the whole thing, and obviously I have the long-term OG it. respect for Bill Simmons. 
Yeah. It did seem like a little bit of an undervaluing of the flexibility of rookie contracts sure. in general and the fact that they can't leave for nine no, years. No, I think that it was a it was honestly a pretty bad assessment of Barnes, especially given that the parameters of yeah. the column are always contract and and youth and defense. Yeah, and like and, even it, like OG was way ahead of him, right? Yeah. And like I, you know how I no, feel about OG. Trade, they wouldn't trade OG. But he's it. like he's about to be get paid like thirty million plus as a high end role player. He's older. Um, yeah, they're just like it versus you have six more years of Scotty Barnes before unrestricted free agency. Yeah, my my only point is I actually I think that it's a the truth is in the middle mm-hmm. where this fan base has really overrated what Barnes has done so far and what he could be. And some of the other players around the league or writers, columnists, analysts, whatever, some are a little too down on him as a player. To me, all I want to know is how can the Raptors start to unlock his best traits and have that show up consistently night in, night out? Because when Barnes flashes, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. When Barnes is looking good, when he's engaged defensively, when he's getting two feet in the paint, when he's getting his feet set and knocking down that jump shot, when he's playing with energy, you look at it and you say, oh yeah, I, I get it. But there are far too many moments that even so far on a rebuild team, on one that has gotten rid of Siakam and has gotten rid of Fred Van Vliet and has gotten rid of OG Ananobi and has said this is basically being tailored around you. I don't need ISO ball. I don't need to see him turn into Lonzo Ball, right? Like, that's not the parameter of success for me. But I want to see you involved. I want to feel your impact on the game. And the thing that I don't love about Barnes and what I hate so far is that half of the game, essentially, so, like, you can basically write off the first halves of every single Barnes game at this point where it's like, where is he going to be? How, how is he going to show up? Great fourth quarters at times, awful one against OKC the other night. But far too many times where he is just not involved or you do not feel his impact whatsoever on the game he's young he's got time i understand all these things i'm just saying that's all if if we're gonna say hey these are the great signs the bad signs there's a lot of them there too yeah there's some vince signs it's just but i I would uh, say you know i have at least felt the defensive impact game to game i get what you're saying offensively certainly the thunder game was and, and that's not all Scotty that's some of the co- like play design harder, and stuff like that's that. harder but, to pick out though too yeah of course um I think he's got time it's yeah it's two and a half well, yeah. years like we don't think it it's it's factual yeah he's, yeah he's got lots of time yeah he's got lots of time I think he's gonna be okay I'm just saying if you uh, look at the pieces yeah, around well him, especially the rest of the way now right mm-hmm. like like there's no uncertainty about who's getting traded and who's not anymore who's in the rotation and who's not anymore like this is what it is now for the last mm-hmm. what 30 they got 30 games left 29 games left or something like that mm-hmm. like this should be like all of those like clouds hanging over or like distraction excuses, stuff like that. And this isn't relative to Sky. This is relative to everyone. Uh, like Darko's rotations, uh, Bruce Brown's play, all that stuff. Like all that's gone now. This is who you are for the rest of the year. And like Bobby said it yesterday, like they don't, even if they bought him out, you're talking about ping pong balls to keep your pick. If you even want to keep your pick, like you said earlier, I, I don't think they do. They're, they're playing. At this point, I don't think they care that much about the outcomes, but like you, the rest of the season is Scotty, quickly, RJ, Dick, maybe Abaji, and, and a couple of the other pieces. But like these yeah, guys, you just said that, and I went, Whoa. these guys got to play together and like figure it out. That's that's the most important part the rest of the way. So yeah, we you better be moving in the right direction for for everyone involved. I'm going tonight. Nice. And actually, I'm I'm going to a bunch of games because I'm going to go see Wemby too, and that's Monday. Monday. So I'm I'm. I'm excited to take this in up close for the next couple of games and see how they look against some teams that I think that they should be competitive against. The Rockets at home. Without Fred. Yeah. 
which is such a shame. It is. Really, um, this is like it's annoying. It at least puts them closer to your like talent level, though. So you, yeah, you should you like that should be a game you you win. Obviously, Shangun's amazing. But when I bought the ticket, though, it was with the idea of Fred. Fred yeah. And then no. Anyways, um, all right. I and it was so. I, did C, you see so the video that he posted? You? It's a C. You're yeah. gonna land on a C. Yeah. I'm going with D. Okay. Yeah, it's a D for me. I like I said, if you if you didn't win any of the trades. And you end up with a roster that you just you just said out loud and sounded not enjoyable or really like it it is anything. Again, like this team isn't just trying to tank and get Scotty to play like Lonzo Ball. They're trying yeah. to cobble together winning pieces around him, and that's not really the vision that I'm seeing. So it's been, anyway. it's been underwhelming. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break. Um, and then I want to ask you, you can, if you want, you can give me uh, if there was any move that you liked from yesterday, but I don't think that there's really anything we're talking about. But one question I've been sitting on for you for uh, how long has it been since it's been two weeks almost. I have a question that I've been sitting on for you that I think you can only tell me and only you can answer and to our audience about why the nerds don't think momentum is real. That's next. <laughs> Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, I'm just going to ra- wrap up what we were talking about in the break because I think it's a good conversation, which is the Raptors now have all these decisions to make before we get into momentum talk. Blake Murphy's here, by the way. They got all these decisions to make on players now. Like they've got to give Kelly Olenek a contract and potentially Gary Trent Jr. a contract and quickly a contract. Who else am I missing? Because Brown's not going to extend it. Who is yeah, there? Olenek, Trent. Yeah, quickly. Quickly. Those are the main ones. I Those mean, if you if you care about Jordan Wara, no, he's a UFA as well. With my rights, my, but... my only take on Wara, and I don't know what you think about it, is if if you're being told Gary Trent Jr. costs this and then Wara costs that, it's like what's the actual difference in value between those two players? That's a scary proposition. If I'm Gary Trent Jr., by the way, that I would watch basketball and think even that question. Anyways, before we before you answer that question, uh, the iconic Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made a stop in Toronto, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 8th and 9th from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Young and Dundas for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. No purchase necessary. Must be 21 plus for the grand prize. Full contest details at CoorsLight.ca slash the chill train. So what you couldn't have done that. If you did that read at the top of the show, I would have left and I'd be a young and Dundas right now looking yeah, for, yeah, looking okay. for free, free beer. It was like 9 a.m. <laughs> because I, I interrupted you on contract no, talk. No, I yeah. would just be like at 9 a.m. The day after I yeah. did all the trade deadline stuff, like, I, I yeah. beer me, please. Yeah. Beer. I could uh, go. I could go for a nice cold beer. Yeah. So how many of those, <laughs> let's put it this way. What do you have to pay? Is there is is there even a dollar amount that you want to give Gary Trent Jr.? Is I'm, there and is there a total number that you think you can kind of give those three guys? Like, if do the Raptors do better? Because if we're talking about this off season and the way that you set it up was, yeah. hey, the you way to win, this de- yeah, you can a have of- a gut, but you got to win on some contracts. Mm-hmm. You're the number guy. Yeah. When we t- put this thing all together, because everyone said when they traded for Yaka Pertle that you're going to have to give him $20 million, and everyone knew that that was going to be a loss, right? They were like, oh, crap, that's not going to be good, but you kind of have to do it because you did this thing. You did not have to do it. Well, that's the problem is they keep doing these trades like Gary Trent Jr. where they say, all right, well, it's going to be younger and cheaper than Norm. And then you go, well, actually, he was worse than Norm, and he was more expensive than Norm. So that's good. You get Yaka Pertle, it's $20 million, and the entire talk around deadline is – well, some teams would maybe consider Jakob Pertl, but he's paid so much money that you can't really get that trade done. 
So if you're going to turn quickly or uh, Kelly or even Gary Trent Jr. into some kind of an asset for you, the contract here is going to matter, but they don't really have a track record of capitalizing on that. Right. Um, so with quickly the actual number, I mean, it matters, but for cap space purposes, it doesn't cause he's got a small cap hold. So whatever happens with quickly, they'll keep him on his cap hold, which is only 12 and a half million. Nice. Um, and then they'll come back and resign him. So, you know, whether that ends up being 20 mil or 25 mil or whatever, it doesn't hamper your cap flexibility, just hampers your, your long-term now with Gary and Kelly. And I, I'm factoring in here, you know, let's say the pick lands at number 20, mm-hmm. Um, so if you gave those two guys a combined 26 million, which is probably on the high end, um, but those two guys, 26 million and you got the number 20 pick. And then with quickly, you decided to come back later, you re-sign him, but you leave him on his cap hold. Uh, then you trade Bruce Brown away or, or decline the option or whatever you get to about 18 million in cap space. So if you want, say the, the mid-level exceptions, Projected to come in around 13 million. I was going to say, so slightly over mid-level. Right. At that point, you'd probably operate as above cap team and just use the mid-level exception. Um, (laughs) So if you can get Gary Trent for like 17 and Kelly for seven, and then you're talking about $20 million, like the, all this flexibility and you can open up like 50, 60 million uh-huh. evaporates pretty quickly. If you intend to keep those guys, I was going to say, it's also funny too thinking about this places that that is historically, I, I would challenge anybody to find a, a franchise that has a worse track record with free agents and the rafters. Like they also, so there's a weird like cap wrinkle here for me. That is amusing. But like, so Masai took over in 2013. Mm-hmm. The only season they've actually had cap space is 2015. They have operated as above cap team every other time. So the mid-level is the most they had to spend. They could potentially have cap space for the first time, like since 2015, basically Which I in would this guess era. That they're going to because of the, uh, yeah, the luxury tax implications now. Yeah. Plus the fact that they just don't really have any path towards being a truly competitive team. Next right. Year. And it's not the greatest of free agent classes, but you got to get more talent in the door. Yeah. So good. And look, so, there's so always more you can do. You can find a home for Boucher, whatever. Sure, you can, sure, sure. Anyway, like, there, there are Range other. told me it was going to cost you a second round pick to get off the Boucher contract. But yeah, it's the, yeah. Uh, I mean, they were hoping to get back a second. Like, I think they thought that yeah. Rashawn Holmes in a second for Daniel Gafford deal, uh-huh. like some version of that would be available. Yeah. It was not. Yeah. Chris, <laughs> let me say that. I, I said this a couple no, weeks ago on air yeah. and it got either. aggregated a lot as like a, this is Chris Boucher was very available. Yeah. Yeah. Grange made that very clear. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, um, I Chris think, Boucher made that very clear. I think I think where we've landed on this is that the best path forward for the Raptors is to be a cap vulture. That, yeah. That's their that's probably their best way to move forward using this offseason. Anyways, yeah. uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, but there was a huge debate amongst football fans. Mm-hmm. But I think as sports fans in general, because to me, this does apply to other games. Like this is not something that's just unique to football. This is something that has been described across all sports and I think did come up with NBA players and NHL players. And it was that when the Lions lost to the San Francisco 49ers, there was a feeling of the momentum in the game shifted when Brandon Ayuk made that off the helmet of the defender trying to make the interception play into his hands down to the one-yard line. And for me, watching sports, like, momentum is very real. Like, I was watching the Lakers-Nuggets game yesterday, and the Nuggets are up 10 for a large portion of the game, and the Lakers started to get a little bit of momentum. Davis started to get hot. And you could feel the Denver offense starting to tighten up and they're just trying to do the post up with Jokic. Nobody else is hitting a shot. He's kind of getting the, he's, he, I think they turned him over like six or seven times in that mm-hmm. game. And you're saying, all right, the Lakers have a momentum now, but why it's explain to us dummies. Why you guys like, what is your guys position on this? Because I don't understand it. Well, this is 
my position on it is that momentum exists. Like okay, I've, sure. I've played enough but, sports okay, to fine. feel it and then, stuff, right? Sure. But then tell us, be the be the translator okay. then. Be our translator because you go to okay. your analytics community and they've told you, Blake, we don't think it's real. And then you come okay. to the, us, the eye test guys. So um, on uh, you got to go sport by sport. So baseball, the old saying is momentum well, is your next day starting pitcher. I be, well, momentum is definitely real in baseball because it happened. Like that's how the Jays beat the Rangers in 2015. Yeah. 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 And like, it's you, true. Yeah. It gets in the Fast. pitcher's heads and like yeah. the confidence level and it's easier to hit yeah. with runners on base and, and stuff like that. You got to get deeper into the bullpen uh, football. The argument would be that while there is a momentum feel after something good happens, the offense switches out for the defense. Mm. And that's a completely different group of guys who haven't felt that momentum and aren't like a part of it necessarily. That's the so psych- this has nothing to do that's with a, numbers. No, no, that's the psychological component okay. of like, how could, how could me doing something good and then tagging you in possibly affect you? That's kind of the psychological doubt about momentum, but numbers wise, basically, and this is the same with like lineup protection or clutch hitting or whatever. Lineup protection like, I get though. Cause there's actually a statistical case. So there is a statistical case for, momentum too but it's like you take the entire sample of everything that's happened and say look in this large large sample we can't prove it we can't find no. the data and the evidence that says this exists. But what you can't do is like <laughs> you can't isolate an example yeah. and say, well, the stats say the Brandon Ayuk thing didn't cause momentum. Like you can't basically the only statistical analysis you can do on that kind of stuff, game to game or in game, takes the sample of every single thing that's ever happened. So there are obviously going to be examples where something really good happens on offense and then the defense immediately messes it up or something good happens on offense. And then the next drive, yeah, the quarterback it. makes a mistake right away. Um, you know, you get momentum in baseball and then your bullpen craps the bed. Like there are enough examples of that where in the macro, the data will just say, no, nah, there's nothing really here. It's the same with clutch hitting and stuff like that. But you like David Ortiz existed. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the 28, three Super Bowl comeback existed. Like we've seen that the Raptors went on what a 26 to three run against the bucks to punch their ticket to the NBA finals. Like, th- like you, if you watch enough sports, you play enough sports, you absolutely feel it. So, I'm not a religious person, but this just is, I get this argument because this is the whole, well, if you can't prove God is real, then God doesn't exist. But the counter to that is yeah. Pascal's wager, yeah. which is if there's even a point zero 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 one percent chance that God exists, yeah. you better act yeah. like he exists because the cost and of being wrong is so that's... dramatic. And that's how I feel about momentum and like yeah. clutch and stuff like that is like, maybe we can't prove it. Maybe it doesn't exist, but there's enough evidence that I should probably just be careful. Yeah, and that's why I don't have any tattoos like you. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm it's a good... It's not good behavior. I'm a good boy, and I have good behavior. Uh, Blake Murphy, this is always fun. Thanks for coming in. Uh, listen to you, and so Bobby's on at 2? Two? 2.05, I think, 205. but yeah, 2 o'clock okay. hour. So Bobby Webster on the Raptor Show with Blake Murphy and Will Lua, 2.05. Anything else to plug? Nope, that's okay. it. Thanks, that's man. It. All right, uh, when we come back, Brady Quinn from Radio Row. Listen, I'm not going to keep crying about the studio. But I just have one last thing to say. There are so many screens in here. Like, there's a TV that's in front of me. And, and I just turned, at least when I had Blake here, I could look at Blake, and I was having a conversation with someone. And I'm trying to look at you guys, but you know when you're in a room and there's TVs on, and your little mouse brain just can't help but look at the screen? There's some Bally Sports Thing that's on fishing channel in here and it's compelling it's really hard for me to keep my focus i'll do my best i'll do my best from this horrific studio i'm in the old studio which is you know millions of dollars for all of these screens all this yeah all this this television studio 
Uh, Brady Quinn is all over. He's different sets. He's all over the place. Looks beautiful. I had one where it was like on a... I I saw a picture of you. It was in front of, I think, a a fountain. You're all over the place. How's Radio Row? Uh, Radio Row was was a little different experience for me only because our our Hold on, we're going to try to reconnect with you because your your phone's breaking up here. Hold on, we're gonna you're going to talk to the producers for one second. So we just got that was that was uh, there's walkie talkies that are better than that. Were you calling from a walkie talkie? Still my favorite comedy movie of all time. There's no question. Tommy Boy number one. No question. No question. No question. It's Tommy Boy number one. Anyways, we'll reconnect with Brady Quinn. Uh, I, I've never been to a Super Bowl. I really need to go to, I was, I was actually thinking about it this morning about how, God, it's so expensive. Cause I was talking to Duvernay Tardif yesterday and we were talking about the $2.5 million suite. And I, I like going to games, but yeah, the, the idea of paying, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, I would have to go to one that was not my teams, but that is something that, yeah, got to take in. Anyways, we got Brady. Are you still in the walkie talkie or do we figure this out? Oh, it's so much better already. I think we figured it out now. Yeah. I've got all our bars and everything else. Is no, it still doing it's, it? Oh, it's perfect. It sounds so good. Whatever you were doing before, it was just like, yeah, it's like, you know when you're fake? Yeah, I actually thought for a second maybe you didn't want to do the hit today because you know when you used to fake as a kid? This is a home phone thing where you'd put the, you'd add the home phone and you could put the like little piece of toilet paper or paper towel over the, the, the phone and start to crinkle it up and go like, oh, you're breaking up. I don't know why well, you got a bad connection and then hang up. Oh, that's how you used to do that? I, I actually never never did that as a kid, but now it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, your parents are calling you for something. You're like, ah, I don't think you got a bad connection. No, that, was, that absolutely worked. I thought that's what you're doing. So anyways, uh, you're down at Radio Row. You're on all these beautiful sets. Uh, you're seeing just about everybody around the NFL. There's an insane amount of players that are involved in this where it's just like they're hawking things like Bounty. They're around doing a million things. You have so many conversations on football by that by the time you get to me on a Friday, you're probably almost gassed out. But let me ask you this. Has there been something that has happened this week or conversations that you've had this week that has shifted your opinion about something at all? And if so, what is that thing? Uh, talking to a lot of the sharp betters and the people mm. who are behind the gambling this, scene this and how heavy me. they're hitting um, the 49ers, oh, no. uh, the under of this game, yeah. oh, uh, oh, the no. under of any prop bet in regards to Travis Kelsey <sighs> uh, because a lot of those numbers are getting bet up uh, because of... The Swifties being involved. So, uh, look, I'm on the complete opposite side of all of it. Like, I kind of envision more of a 27-24 style of game um, with Kansas City winning outright, not even just covering. So, I, look, I guess I'm, I'm trying to go against the Sharps. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a man of the people here. But yeah. I, I keep going back to this. Every time I, I listen to a, a Sharp better talk to me about, you know, their model and why they feel like San Francisco's uh, going to win and cover, I, I resort back to – if San Francisco plays the style of game they want to play, and let's say they're d- up double digits in the fourth quarter, we've already seen this story before. And I think the defense for the 49ers was better when the Kansas City Chiefs came back down 10 points in the fourth quarter to beat San Francisco before with Jimmy Garoppolo. So why would I think that they wouldn't be able to do that now? Now, maybe you'd say, well, they don't have Tyreek Hill, so they're not going to be able to make as big of explosive plays. Okay, that may be the case, but sure. the defense for San Francisco has not been playing as well. So, mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, it, it, I'm looking forward to a fantastic game. I'm curious to see how it can be officiated. Because I think mm-hmm. one of the things that's kind of flown under the radar in regards to the conversations is the fact that officiating has been awful this year and extremely inconsistent. 
and Bill Vitovich, who is the official for this the Super Bowl, it was also involved in the no call of that NFC Championship game between the Rams and Saints. And so it's not like he hasn't had some controversial calls in the past. Mm. And obviously he's the one tasked with all this. So I think how this game is officiated might play as big of an impact as anything, in particular on the edges when Kansas City's on offense. Mm. If they start getting nitpicky about holding calls, and you know Nick Bosa put the, the tackles for Kansas City on notice throughout his, the, the past two weeks, talking about how they like to hold if they start getting nitpicky with those calls, I think that's where San Francisco is able to not only kind of win this game, but really control this game. If not, if they let him play, I think Patrick Mahomes will ultimately end up making plays in the end of the final moments to win it. Well, I was going to say the only time that we've seen Mahomes look human is that game against the Bucks, And what was the problem is that he couldn't get any protection. And so, yeah, you've got that, the, the guard, the backup guard that's going to be playing in this game. And then you get potentially. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you get those, those holding calls that change the game and are a big advantage for the pass rush. And I feel like, yeah, that's probably one of your easiest pass to victories if you're the Niners. That, that, that scares me too, dude, is so I bought the Chiefs immediately at a good plus number. The second the Super Bowl was announced, I was like, yeah, I was pissed because I took Baltimore and I thought, hey, Brady and I had a million conversations about how the Chiefs aren't the same team anymore. And uh, the offense is going to bite them in the ass. And then they opened up that football game with like a m- most perfect half of offense where it was just brilliant, slowing the game down, possessions, all that stuff. And uh, I just bought the number and I felt so good about it. I said, this is great. But the entire, I, I haven't seen a person pick the Niners. Like I haven't seen an actual human being pick the 49ers in this game. And that terrifies me. And I'm not a big believer in the Sharps. I feel like that gets so overstated and that scares people off of their gut more than anything or the analysis that they make is you hear the Sharps, the Sharps, the Sharps without recognizing that these are people that spend tons of money and they they buy a half a point because they see the values in their models. But yeah, it does it does scare me a little bit just knowing that the Niners actually get to play their fake under, uh, underdog card and that there's just so much public consensus that the Chiefs are the team to beat in this one. Anyway, ugh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, if this game is a shootout, though, because you said, what was your score prediction, 27-24? 27-24, which doesn't feel like a shootout. Kind of is, though. Cool, but the over-under is about 47 and a half. Yeah, but I just feel, yeah, that there's, there feels like multiple scenarios here in terms of the way it goes. But if the game is high scoring, don't you think that actually does benefit the Niners? Uh, I think you can make a cry case for both teams. I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I think you'd have to admit, like, the better defense is no doubt in Kansas City this year. Yeah. So if the 49ers are scoring, clearly they're running the football. They're more balanced. They're, you know, taking some shots uh, to Brandon Ayuk and Debo and, and Kittle. Uh, so clearly that's that's been effective if that's the case. But, again, I, I kind of envision it more of like a, um, you know, final moments of the game type thing. It's it's twenty four twenty, and it's yeah. the last two minute drive that Mahomes goes down to score a touchdown and go ahead and win it. Uh, it kind of feels like it's just going to be more of that style of the game. And I think the biggest concern for me is, is if it's high scoring. Also, I mean, go back to watch the NFC Championship game and all the soft zone coverage that Steve Wilkes continues to play because I think he's concerned about being able to put those cornerbacks on islands and match up man to man. And if that's the case. That's a problem because Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey will dice you up if you keep playing zone coverage and just give Kelsey a free release off the line of scrimmage. And that's exactly what they did versus Sam Laporta. Exactly what they did when they're playing against the Green Bay Packers. Um, they have a hard time bowing up. They haven't really been able to stop the run. Like, I'm, part of me is kind of curious to see how much Pacheco uh, gets to touch the football in this one because it has been such a weak spot for the 49ers 
Uh, and Chase Young has not been the player they had hoped he would be when they acquired him. Maybe this is his big stage, big opportunity. But I, I tend to look at this and think, no matter how we want to you know, talk about a high-scoring game, I just think it favors the better quarterback, and there's no doubt Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's the way that I also see this, and like to, to break it down simplistically. Do you think that the best unit in the game is the Chiefs' defense, and do you think the worst unit in this game is the Niners' defense? That's fair. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that's that's what I that's what I'm saying too. Is like if it's a, if it's a high scoring game, that means that you've nullified or helped or kind of nullified the biggest advantage in this game, which is like I said, I think the Chiefs' defense. I like the way that you know when you're talking about being able to cover on an island. I like that the Chiefs can at least attempt to do that in this game with their corners, with their secondary uh, against the Niners' good pass catchers and the Niners' good receivers. Um, I also just believe in them being able to generate pressures because we've seen it from them all season long. Feels like the big key anyways for me with the Niners is can they establish the run early with Christian McCaffrey and can they still be able to defend on the outside with all that attention given to try to slow down the Niners run game? Yeah, I think they're going to do it by using a lot of big personnel. Like I, I, don't, I don't know they're going to be as effective running the football for San Francisco with a lot of three wide receiver sets. I think you're going to have to be more of that base personnel, maybe bring in an extra offensive lineman. You know, we've seen in the past, Kyle Shanahan's moved around Trent Williams. Sometimes that's an interesting and unique way of getting to edges. And, you know, that might be one way they want to go about trying to run the football, in particular on the right side, because that's the weakest spot for San Francisco. You know, if you really look at um, Trent Williams and Aaron Banks, you know, Banks hasn't allowed a sack this entire season. Trent Williams is a future Hall of Famer. Um, that side's fine. It's just more the right side. And I think how they match up versus uh, Chris Jones, how they match up versus George Karloftis. And so if, if you're looking for unique ways of trying to get Christian McCaffrey going, you bring in Kittle, you bring in check, you bring in those bigger bodies, and, and you block everything up, and you take your play-action shots, you have your boots off of that, and that fits right in the wheelhouse of what you know, Kyle Shannon likes to do. And I think it also doesn't put too much pressure on Brock Purdy who hasn't played very well early in games. Um, and, and unfortunately, he's played well enough in the second half to come back and get those wins. That ain't happening. Against but let's not get it twisted either. Like, you know, that Brandon Ayuk play that helped set up a score really should have been an interception. Now, granted, it was a you know, pass interference anyway on the play, but you still look at like some of those plays that helped get the 49ers to this point. I'm not saying lucky, but it wasn't like even in those moments, you know, Purdy was playing some of his best. So um, I just, I feel like, again, if the Chiefs get up, it's going to be hard to think that yeah. they're going to be the team that gives up a lead, right? With that offense, the way they can control the clock, move the football, then that defense is as good as they've been this year. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, totally, totally agree. Like you were facing also a Lions team that had a real susceptible secondary or at home. Uh, that it, it's, it's a completely different ball game if the Chiefs end up going up in this one. Like that's the way that this team is built to play is with a lead. That's their whole premise uh, or that's what this I, defense is predicated upon. I'd ask you this too. Yeah. Is Steve Spagnuolo the best defensive coordinator in NFL history? He's got three Super Bowls, and like he took I don't down. I qualified to answer that question. You tell me. I, like in my opinion, I think I asked the question because I was trying to think in my head. I'm like, well, all right, you know, you've got like Buddy Ryan, you know, you've got defensive coordinators like that, but like, how many guys have won multiple Super Bowls in two different places and have been able to literally stymie arguably the greatest of all time in Tom Brady. Well, I was going to say, this is a weird one because he gets to be a defensive coordinator for so long without a ton of head coaching. Like normally when guys are this good, they get longer and more opportunities to coach. Well, I think the problem for him is when he did have that opportunity to coach, it didn't work out well. And and maybe he's kind of learned like, Hey, this is what I am and I'm okay with that. And, 
I can control the defense. And it seems like obviously the players love him and want to play for him. But yeah. I, I just think like one of the wild cards, and as far as when you look at the matchups or like who has the edge, yeah. if we're comparing Steve Spagnuolo and Steve Wilkes, yeah. it, it's not even close. Yeah. Like that might be the biggest, you know, advantage of, of any position coach, you know, matchup uh, in this Super Bowl that we're probably not talking about enough. Dude, I love that take. That's and I haven't heard that one from anybody. So yeah, no, that's a great one to dig in on. But that's that, listen, this is the Super Bowl, and so we we probably overdo the psych the psychology part of these games. It's always hey, well, the Chiefs they've been here before, and the Niners haven't, and Shanahan's lost two already, and they've won blah blah blah. Like we we go through it all like this. But I, I am curious on your thoughts on this, which is everyone's talked about will Brock Purdy blink? Me too. And how will the Niners fare in a game that they haven't won? How will they feel with the pressure and a lot of the guys that haven't even been to this game, whatever, go on down the line versus all oh, the Chiefs have been here and the Chiefs have the experience and the Chiefs don't have that same pressure. But like if Mahomes wins three Super Bowls, that really is putting him in a different conversation like it is. And we all accept how great he is. But three, all of a sudden, at this point of his career, six years as a starter, three Super Bowls, Andy Reid getting three Super Bowls, Travis Kelsey getting three Super Bowls. Um I'm curious if you think that there's actually a psychological component to ha- maybe there being more pressure on these guys, knowing the the heights of what is at stake here for them. Well, clearly there's there's stuff at stake for both. I, I just think where the pressure comes in for Shanahan is the past and not allowing that past to haunt you, mm-hmm. whether during his time in Atlanta or as his time as a head coach. And I think if you look at the construct of this team, there's way more pressure on San Francisco because it's so much harder to keep this group together of all pros and all these guys around Brock Purdy while he's on his rookie deal. And and so I, I think from that standpoint, it kind of lends itself to, I think, put more pressure on Kyle Shanahan. Like, okay, can you keep getting back to this? And can you get another shot at winning it if you can't win this one? Um, and with this team, with this group, given all the circumstances, when you look at Kansas City, Sure, Travis, you know, Kelsey might retire, but Mahomes is on a long-term deal. He's 28 years old. He's got a lot of football left in him. And, you know, Andy Reid maybe would want to hang it up at some point, but I don't think that's going to happen after this game. And so I think if you're looking at any team that is probably looking at it saying, like, we expect to be here next year and the year after that and the year after that, it's probably Kansas City. They've drafted well. They've developed well. And I think even if Kelsey retires and they don't have him moving forward, we've already seen them want to win a Super Bowl with, without Tyree Kill. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think they'll find a way of finding that next tight end that maybe isn't one of the greatest or the greatest of all time like Kelsey, but it's pretty darn close. And they'll continue to keep putting pieces around Patrick Mahomes to be the player that he is. So I, I just – I look at it and think it's more about San Francisco because – um, it, it's this window of opportunity that they have. And once they have to commit to Purdy, it makes it a lot harder to keep that group together. Yeah. God, that just the, the, the upside and the downside for these teams is massive. Like just thinking about, yeah, what the chiefs get with a victory and how that's going to make us feel about Kyle Shanahan and that Niners window and the talent they've had over these past, like what, five, six years. Uh, huge game. Anyways, man, I know you got to run, enjoy it. Uh, thanks for making time today. Yep, thanks for having me on. Enjoy the game. Yep, see you, brother. Brady Quinn, uh, former NFL QB, down at Radio Row, working for Fox. Um, okay, a couple quick things. I'm terrified about my Chiefs bet I, because I feel so good about it. I really do. I really feel good about the Chiefs. And by the way, follow on Instagram, at JD Buggers. I've been putting all my, all my favorite bets, all my favorite props for the week, every single day. 
going down the Raptors game tonight, and I, I usually have a very bet-the-home-team mentality. I know there's Fred, no Fred Van Vliet, but Raptors being minus 143 or something like that. It's a little too, I know, for the Raptors. Like, ugh, not, give me a plus number. They're <laughs> bottom six team in the NBA, for God's sake. They just squeak by the Charlotte Hornets, and I can't get a plus number on the Raptors? Fine. Um, but I just can't find people who are betting the Niners. And when I, and this isn't even just about other people, but this is, I, I do feel this way. I do feel this way where when there's a consensus thought that we're all missing something. But when I talk to Brady, he says the same stuff. And every smart person I've talked to says similar things too. Here's, here's my thoughts. One, when it comes to the secondaries matching up, the Chiefs have a huge advantage here. When it comes to who could protect a lead, I infinitely trust the Chiefs to trust uh, to protect a lead. Against Brock Purdy, with that secondary, with their defensive coordinator, with their pass, with Chris Jones, like, I, I don't trust the Niners to be able to come back. I've seen... I've, I, I, all this different teams talk. I've seen the Kansas City Chiefs last year light up the San Francisco 49ers defense to the tune of 44 points. I've seen them come back in a Super Bowl where everybody thought that the Niners were going to win, and I've seen Patrick Mahomes come back. And yeah, no Tyreek Hill, whatever you want to say, I still trust Patrick Mahomes to be able to find his way back into a football game, especially against a defense where there's talks about effort level going into the Super Bowl from San Francisco where they don't seem to be able to stop anybody. They got some crucial ones, I guess, against Detroit, but Brady's right. That game, we can talk about momentum all we want. We can talk about the composure of the Niners all we want, but it was it's a bit of a fluke. It was good fortune. Some huge mistakes by the Lions in that game to give them their breaks. And so I just do the, how many ways can you win? How many ways can you win? What, what are the ways you can do this, right? The teams with the most uh, ability to win in multiple styles of game, that's the team I like more. And I feel like the Kansas City Chiefs, not, I feel like I've seen them accomplish over and over again, have a variety of different ways that I feel they can win this football game. Whereas the Niners, to me, it's if they're running the football, all of a sudden I'm terrified. But I just trust Spagnola to figure out a way to slow that down and force them to beat them on the outside or force their pass catchers to beat them. And now we'll see the true value of McDuffie and Sneed and how, how they perform against these guys. Because, yeah, if they can take that away, if they can be reasonable there, you've got to feel great about the Kansas City Chiefs. So to me, it's just the outside stuff where I don't like the Chiefs receivers. I haven't all year. I don't like Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Rishi Rice, I think, is fine to okay disappears in some games, seems to do one thing really well, which is kind of catch that little out pass that he takes for 10 yards or he can do a quick slant that he takes for 10 yards. But he's, he's been a drop machine too. He's not someone that I think you can just put down as, ooh, that's a premier receiver. Like he's a big wild card in this game. He's a huge wild card. In fact, if we're doing X factors, I think that he's one of the biggest ones. And if you're the, if you're the Niners, I would think that what you're trying to scheme up is we're not letting Kelsey beat us. We're not letting him catch the ball, touch the ball early and generate momentum off of his energy in this football game and the confidence that he inspires to the rest of his team. Don't let Kelsey beat you early just like the Ravens did. That's the nightmare scenario. So take him away. So can the Chiefs receivers end up actually winning on the outside and can the, the Chiefs run game actually cause an impact? 
And I, I believe in both those things. Because one, I believe in Patrick Mahomes. I just think he's going to throw guys open. I think he's going to make the right plays. I think that they've got this brilliant offensive mind in Andy Reid where they will scheme it up well. And that they can, they can survive not having Kelsey in this game. We thought earlier in the year, oh yeah, and against other teams, against other good defenses. Like, I don't think that the Chiefs could have beat the Ravens without having Kelsey early. I think that they can beat this Niners defense without having Kelsey early. And then maybe opening things up for him later in the game and having him just have his moment, his impact. He's got to have an impact on it, but I don't think it's as crucial about the way that it was against the Baltimore Ravens. And then, yeah, I think about the other... I, I think the Chiefs have the best unit, and I think the Chiefs have the best quarterback. The Niners have the best playmakers. The Chiefs have the better coaching on both sides of the ball. And I, I love Kyle Shannon. He'd be my number one pick in terms of guys I would build my organization around coaching-wise moving forward because of Andy Reid's age and where Kyle Shanahan's at in his career. But... Like I said, I, I all the respect in the world for Kyle Shanahan, but you can't tell me that today he's better than Andy Reid, given that Andy Reid has, yeah, he's got the wins. He's already, he's already proven the concept. We just saw Kyle Shanahan come back in a game where his team was down big in a meaningful moment for the first time. So anyways, I'm sticking with my Chiefs pick because it just feels right. Everything feels right. But I... Uh, I just wonder what the thing is that we're all missing. We all, we're, we're all staring at this picture and everyone's going Chiefs and yet the Niners are favorites in the football game. And the best gamblers on the planet are going, this is why this makes sense. And the greatest algorithms on the planet which come up with these lines, they say the Niners. And the Chiefs, despite opening up at that plus 115 number that I grabbed, I don't know what it's at today, but I, it's maybe a little bit worse. Maybe it's like Chiefs plus 110. Chiefs plus 112. The fact that that money isn't moving is just, it's a hard thing to endure. It takes bravery. Like, it takes bravery to be me and to keep the size of the bet that I have on the Chiefs in this game. Anyways, again, follow on Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus, and uh, I'll post my other favorite props throughout the rest of the week. Uh, Hate it. Hate it. Nerves. Nerves, nerves, nerves. Okay, let's take a quick break. But before we do that, the iconic Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game. And it just made a stop in Toronto, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 8th and 9th from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Young and Dundas for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. No purchase necessary. Must be 21 plus for the grand prize. Full contest details at CoorsLight.ca slash The Chill Train. The best Super Bowl take so far? The most interesting Super Bowl topic, though, because everything else gets done to death, was delivered by one of the greatest of all time, Chris Russo. Is it better to watch this game alone, or is it better to watch it at a party? Next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Quick thank you to everybody who's been leaving five-star reviews on the podcast as of late. I notice it means a lot to me. So thank you. I always ask for it. And then lately I've noticed an influx. So I appreciate the listeners that do this thing. Today I don't think I'll be getting it. 
it's a weird with some fan bases, you know, or no, I shouldn't say fan bases, but I think with fans, a lot of days like this with like, say the Raptors, you've already made up your mind before the transactions even happen. Like there were some people that just wanted Dennis Schroeder off the team. And so him off the team, they're like, wow, what a win. Hooray. Or they were going to do the trust Masai thing no matter what, despite, yeah. Having, uh, not having won a trade in God knows how long. Kawhi. <laughs> like, that's it. Last trade, Masai won was probably Kawhi. Unless I'm missing one. Uh, never forget when people thought getting Goran Dragic was a win. Wait till you see what they get for Goran Dragic using the contract, they said. My still favorite was people who believed Goran Dragic was going to be a fan favorite in Toronto. That was my favorite Goran Dragic take. Ludicrous take. Yeah, it was my favorite one. <laughs> I know. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget seeing it going, it won't be me. It will not be me. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure there's some people that feel like it's too negative around the Raptors right now. I just feel like it's a little realistic. Is They've really got the best way to use this term, hodgepodge. That is the team. They are a hodgepodge team. It is a lot of, I, I, like, Bruce Brown, Kelly Olynyk, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Scotty Barnes, Chris Boucher, poof, Jakob Pertl. Just sounds like they got these names just randomly. It was like an auto-generator, not an actual team. How do you get those players? I don't know. Just, like, this, it doesn't make any... Yeah, it's, it's hard to see what parts make sense and what parts fit. I am excited. I, Kelly O better be playing tonight. Is he in lineup? Do we know stuff? Like I haven't that? heard any updates on that. I would assume he is. We have aeroplanes. <laughs> we have planes now. And he's got like family here. He doesn't need a place yeah. to stay. No, well, they, maybe he sneaks in. That's how it works, Armin. That's how it works. Then you get traded here. They're like, where are we going to stay? They're like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. There's no no hotel at the house yeah. at all. Okay, he yeah, doesn't no. have to worry about that stuff. Okay, yet. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Maybe a big, sneaks in a home That's a big part of the trade. That was a big. Actually, I did see uh, Jeff Teague on his excellent podcast say that uh, one time they traded him back to Atlanta, in, to Atlanta during a year where he wanted to go to a contender because they said, We did you a favor. We know you have a house there. So maybe your take is not so bad after all. Anyway, um, where did Chris Russo say this? I, heard, I saw this. I, I forget where it's from, though. What, what's this from? This was from This Is Football, uh, ESPN's This Is Football with okay. Kevin Clark. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, it was Kevin Clark that he was sitting down with. Anyways, uh, let's play the audio, and then I want to discuss his point. I'll tell you when I come out of it. Anyways, uh, here's Chris Mad Dog Russo, uh, friend of the show, friend of the station. Guy who, by the way, I got to say, and I'll say this to his face someday about Chris Russo. He's the man. There are so many people in this business that won't come on and do these things, and you know they think that doing free hits or doing a podcast is beneath them. And yet Chris Russo, who is now on first take, who is one of the most famous sports broadcasters who ever lived, and he will still make time for a billion different shows, despite having Mad Dog Radio that he runs, that he has a show on, High Heat on MLB Network, and now first take. And still the guy will try to work with you to figure out a time to come on your show, if you make the effort. Guy's a legend. So here he is on one of the million shows that he does, uh, him with Kevin Clark. You've never been to a Super Bowl party, or have you? I have been. Of course, I've been. Unfortunately, yeah. I've been dragged. Uh, I will not go this year, though. When when was the last time you were dragged I, you know, to a Super Bowl party? You know, one, you know, I tell you, it was the Patriots and the Giants, the second one. 
What happened? In Indianapolis. Not the first one. The first okay. one was out the game. Okay. The second one when Manning hit uh, Manningham. Yeah, Manningham. Uh, I was. I went to a Super Bowl party that night. Did I leave it to half? Because it's a long halftime. Yeah. But I was that one. Probably 30, 35 people there. I hate it. And it was friends. So, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to have chit chat. I want to hear what Nance. And I think it's a big game for Romo. I want to hear Nance and Romo do the game. So you people know? are coming up to you. It's a huge game. It's Belichick versus Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning and legacy game. Want to talk and to you. people are coming up and just chit chat. Well, and I'm chit chatting too. I want yeah, to. I like nice to chit chat by myself. I don't want to chit chat with 50 other people. I don't want to break down every play. I want to break down the game in my own head. Sure. As the game's going on. I'm going to a Super Bowl party. I always do because it, it feels it's like New Year's Eve, where I don't want to be at this this. I don't want to be here. I don't. I, I rarely am at a New Year's party that I want to actually be at. I think if you had to compile all of the New Year's that I've lived and all of the parties that I've gone to, we're talking a success rate of uh, maybe three or four that I've said, this is a great way to spend New Year's. And you always warm up to the New Year's plan, but that's just because you get so drunk because you're out all night. So by the end of it, you're like, that was very fun. Glad I came. Thank you for having me or wherever you are. But in general... I always feel like planning New Year's is more stressful and whatever. But yeah, watching Super Bowl alone, I don't think I've ever done it. I'm trying to think if I ever have. I don't think so. I don't think I've ever watched the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, maybe as a kid. Maybe uh, like as a, yeah, a young adult, I'm sure I, I watched the Super Bowl alone or with a family member, whatever. But I haven't done it professionally. But when he said it, that resonated me with a way that I, few takes do. I think he's right. Are you guys going to Super Bowl parties? I am, yeah. yeah. Nick? Yes or no? Have either of you guys ever done Super Bowl alone? Neither no. of you is like a... Actually, Nick is a... Uh, you're a big football fan. When you watch the Eagles game, your Eagles are in the Super Bowls. Have you ever watched one alone? No, his mic's not up. I don't hear him. We're in the new studio. You get a pass on this. Try again. Thank you. Uh, there we go. Now I got you. Uh, yeah, I went... I watched the... Oh, I want to say the New York. The, sorry, the the Patriots, the Patriots ones I watched alone. That you won? Uh, no, no, the first Patriots one, the one back with Andy Reid. Oh, that one. Oh, yes. yeah. I forgot yes. that you guys have two Patriots ones. So you watched the right. Terrell Owens one leg amazing a, performance. A, exactly. That's yeah, the, you watched that one. You watched it alone. That that's was, good though. Yeah. Watching watching that alone, I will tell you, one of the most scarring things is that I saw the Seahawks interception around people. And then they want to talk to you about it. It's like, I wanted to go be alone. And the, the other one was even, the other Seahawks loss, I actually wasn't, in hindsight, it wasn't as bad. It was kind of funny because I was with all my college buddies. It was in university. And it was just immediately like them killing me. Everybody against the Seahawks because uh, I, I lived in a house mm. that people used to nickname the house of hate because all the boys be hating on each other all the time. Chappelle had just had uh, player haters ball. That was very... Very influential on on the squad. And, well, not just, but it had been around for a while. But either way, it was our by far our favorite sketch. And so everybody's favorite team was whoever was playing, whoever lived in the house's favorite team. And so I had no allies. There was no friendship. There was no, oh, I hope your team wins, man. That was not my, that was not my group of friends. That was, that was not, there was no one around me saying, I'm pulling for you. I'm pulling for your team. Being alone for the loss there's no question that's better. But just in general, of like watching the games, I, I'm with Mad Dog. There's so many times where I watch the Super Bowl 
And there's the chit-chat with somebody I'll never forget. I'll never forget this. This is going to be, this is probably going to get me in trouble, but whatever. I'll never forget. I was watching, it was actually the Chiefs Niners Super Bowl. No joke. <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm just like watching the game. And someone at the party, it was a lady, and she said, why are there no women on the team? It's sexist that there's no women on the football team. And I'm like, no, don't say anything. Don't engage in this. Just power through, watch the game. But she won't let it go. She's just like, I hate football because they don't let the women play. They don't do this. They don't do that. And I'm just like, don't say, don't say, don't say, don't say. Was she trying to aggregate you guys or she no, was dead serious? Aggregate? What do you mean? I mean, aggregate. Sorry, aggregate. aggregate. Yeah, she was a blogger. She was, trying, she was like, <laughs> say something. It's <laughs> like a stenographer beside me. No, but she just kept doing it over and over and over again. And I was like, yeah, no, maybe someday. And I, like, you know how big those guys are, right? That's just all it took. I'm like, you know how, what would happen, right? It's like this guy hit and then it just uh, off the rails. And, and all of a sudden I'm in a debate that I don't want to be in. My God, you don't. Because there's no way, there's no way to have that conversation with someone with that position where you're not just the biggest sexist who ever lived. You know, like it's just like that's you're just that now. You're that. There's no oh yeah, actually that's a good point by you. It's no, it's it's not. It, it will never be that way. It's like sure, yeah, the sport that I watch every single day or every single Sunday my entire life. These guys like go to a combine, see what the anyways. Who cares? We don't need to do debate. I'm just saying that I got bogged down for like an entire half of a quarter in this before I just had to move and go to like a different TV. I'm just in hell. In hell. Did you uh, catch what Russo said there in that quote? How he'd been to Super Bowl one? I think that's something we got to get him on to talk about. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I just... I think I got to try it. I'm not going to do it this year because I already made plans and the person's making food. But I think next year's Super Bowl is solo. I'm doing it. Uh, next year, Super Bowl alone, by myself, enjoying the football. The only thing is, is it's, it's the Seahawks going to be in the Super Bowl next year. We got Mike McDonald. And so hard for me to watch my team win the Super Bowl alone. Like I want to be around people when the Seahawks win and restore glory to the Pacific Northwest. I want to be there for that. But, yeah, yeah. Armin, you ever watched Super Bowl alone? I've never watched Super Bowl alone, but uh-huh. any time the Lakers were in the finals, I don't even – I didn't even let my parents come but in that's, the living but that's, room. But that's different. That's a, a very different thing. You get if multiple games. Team. Like, a Super Bowl is an event. It's a party. Like, you're supposed to be going and hanging out with people. And so, essentially, if you're watching the game by yourself, it's a bit of, yeah, just a missed opportunity to be around people. Like, everyone, everyone, everyone knows somebody that's having people over for Super Bowl. Like, there's no situation where you – don't know a soul that isn't having like some people, even if it's just you and a friend, Hey, do you want to watch Super Bowl? Like it's a, it's a reason to get together. Like it's a, it is a super, super simple gathering point. I think mad dog's right though. I want to watch the game. I want to have my takes lined up. I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with feeling ashamed of who I truly am. And that's a guy who just wants to watch the Super Bowl alone. So when you're at a party, it takes away from the seriousness of the outcome and the like passion of the game because you're just kind of chatting it up. Like it just doesn't feel as that being emotional. Said, that being said, I do like getting in the, uh, not this, this is funny. I actually don't want the opinions of most of the guys that I'm watching the Super Bowl with at all. 
Their takes are going to be horrible. They haven't watched these, you know, it's just, it's, it's never great. Uh, Never really great. What I normally want the opinions on are the people who are invested in the halftime show and the spectacle of the show, because that I feel completely disconnected in. And that's where you actually get the good polling. That's where you get the good, oh, this is what everybody thought about Usher. Okay, let's have this discussion and I'll enjoy that. That's a, that's a good prep for me. Is this something worth doing? Is this something not worth doing? That, that part is useful to me. Halftime, useful to me. Outside of that, mm, I think it's detracting from what I do professionally. And I think it's detracting from my enjoyment in general. But I do need to go to a Super Bowl. I, gotta t- I, t- I really thought about it this morning about how I've never been to one of these, never went as a kid. It's so expensive, but I just, it's, it's an experience. It's the, it's the Mount Rushmore number one with a bullet sports experience that I, I need to have. It's like by far, by far, by far, by far. So anyway. Yeah, uh, extra 2.5 mil. We'll go to the suite together. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he's just do? Hey guys, do you think that he's just doing it because look, it's his job? It's a lot easier to say that. When no, he's saying that's what I'm yeah. saying is like yeah. that's the whole point. Is right. yes, part of it is that it is your job. Yeah. Part of it is that some people just want to go and drink and have a good time and have snacks, which I get because I like also drinking and having snacks and chit chatting. <laughs> right. So yeah, of course, of course, there's a component that is his job. But no, I just I, I think that it being the last football game of the year the last time for you to kind of enjoy your ritual of watching a football game, betting on a game, soaking it in, having your opinions that, yeah, it would be cool to try watching alone. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that next year. Um, okay. Uh, what else did we miss today? What's in what we missed? I'm going to start. I'm going to take the reins on this. The Lakers lost to the nuggets for the seventh straight time. And I told you at the beginning of the year that Armin, the Lakers fan, that the nuggets were your daddy and yeah, you have no hope against them. The, the Lakers are completely broken. You're already down on them. I know. The Lakers but, are not completely broken. But you just got, beat the Celtics, the Warriors, got, oh, the Knicks. Oh, you're back in. Who else, who else did you're we You're back beat? in. We've had a good little stretch the last yeah. couple of weeks. Uh, Jackson Hayes damn near outperformed LeBron in the fourth quarter last night. Jackson so Hayes really LeBron's did have a that. moment where he was going nuts. I thought that they might even tee him up because he was just going so insane with the way that he was carrying himself. I was like... Is there, uh, is there taunting in this sport? Because he should be getting it. Jackson Hayes should be getting it. Um, you guys got no hope. You absolutely have nothing to believe in. There's no reason to think that you're going to make even a half-hearted run. Um, but yeah, it's just this is as much as a team can possibly dominate another team. Like Jokic went and shook hands with the guys at the end of the game. They're like letting the clock run down and he's going, he's dapping up AD, he's dapping up LeBron. And I went... You, the, the Lakers should be walking off the court like the bad boy Pistons. Yeah, Just and then they do that, and then the talk after is that they're sore losers, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, they are. No, they're all, they're they're all they, the bad they things. Shook. They're the Lakers. <laughs> no, but th- for, for real, the reason why I'm bringing this up is I don't know why they decided to make the Kobe game against the team that owns the Lakers the most. Because that's one, to me, where you make the – you make the decision of it's going to be a game that is a, an easier opponent. And yeah, I don't think it could have been the Raptors involved because they are just too small. I, I get it, the nostalgia or whatever, but it's like they're, they're, the Raptors in the States are too small time. It's not a good enough ticket. But I just, I don't know why they wouldn't have done the, a different game than the defending champs who have kicked the crap out of you now for two straight years in like truly embarrassing, horrific fashion. Like I, I bet, I had a big bet that was riding with the, with the Nuggets in that game. And I was never sweating it out. Even when the Lakers were making their run and it was like the Lakers took the little lead and they closed the 10-point gap, I was like, this game's not going to go the Lakers' way. The final few possessions are going to come down to Denver and Jokic and they're going to win. And they did. Um, 
yeah, I don't like the decision. I, I think that they should have done it a little bit differently. I want to, and I know people, the automatic response to always all of this is there's no group of fans that feels more confident that they know exactly what Kobe Bryant would think than Kobe Bryant fans. Always like the mama mentality is it's like, okay, yeah. Celtics in town would have been yeah. perfect if they scheduled that from before the season started because yeah. it had to be on that, that date. The date was important. The two, yeah. eight, uh, 24. So, yeah. but yeah, I agree. The, the Nuggets is a little random there. What do you but think of the statue? I'm not in love with it. Ooh. I'm not in love with it, but he gets three, which is great. Like that was a, yeah. a cool announcement. I like that, but yeah, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't hit that much. Where are they going to put them all at the Staples Center? Yeah, they're all outside. Crypto.com Arena. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice gesture. But yeah, you're it's right. Too much. I like, agree you with don't the need three. <laughs> you agree? Yeah. Well, Five. the thing is the eight and 24 are such different. Like they're literally split down the middle in terms of his career. And then they have one with Gianna. So. Okay. Yeah. You know. Makes yeah, that makes sense more that sense. Way. And that I love that Vanessa told everyone that this was what Kobe wanted. Yeah. That was big. That just, like, calms everyone. Yeah. Like, everyone shut up. Like, you so, have nothing to say. <laughs> it's still so great to me that this Raptors fan base wears the losing to Kobe and giving him 81 as a badge of honor, that that's how low the franchise was, was that just to be around greatness, just to have, exactly, just to have, that that's still there. They went, hey, he's, they're going to have the pose from the 81-point game. And I went, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Remind everyone how the Raptors got scored on by one guy. So that what might might have played a part in that as well is that some people might forget that was the only game that Kobe's grandma saw him live uh, play. So I don't know if that played into Kobe's no, decision. I, but I didn't know that, but yeah. Yeah, uh, this might be part of it. I didn't know that until yesterday, until I got a lot of the, a lot of the stories. I just, yeah, it was a good day for them to honor Kobe. It's still, he's, he's still the number one, I can't believe he's dead guy. Dude. Every yeah. 20 days, yeah. I just whispered to myself, I'm like, how is Kobe yeah. not yeah. here? Like Number one. Number <sighs> one, crazy. no question. Like, they had the graphic up, and they're talking to Shaq, and all I could think of is, I cannot believe this guy's dead. I cannot believe, because Shaq did his take of, I wish I could talk to him right now, and I'm watching mm-hmm. the graphic. And it's like, there's still, it's it's wild that, how many years later has it been? Five? It was 2020 January. Four yeah, years. Okay, so four years? It's been four years, and it still feels like, wow, this is just unbelievable that this guy passed away. We um, should have saw what was coming after after that tragic accident, like 2020 wash. But anyways, mm. yeah, tough. Either way, I, I think the statue's nice. I'm glad that he gets his three. I'm glad that the Lakers lost. We also had a few pieces out I didn't mention. Tori, our, uh, Cam Reddish is out. Oh, yeah, D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> who you were willing D-Lo. to give up for anything is out. Oh, Cam Reddish and D'Lo, the NBA champions. Two of the greats. Two of the greats. They were out. Anyway, uh, going down the Raptors game tonight, I really am disappointed that I'm not going to see Fred Van Vliet. I thought that that was going to be a cool moment to be able to take in. Plus, I kind of liked going from seeing the the smallest impactful guy in Fred Van Vliet to going and seeing the tallest in Wemby on the Monday and having the dichotomy of those two experiences. But sneaky, excited to see Shangun. Yeah. Yeah. Really excited to see Shangun. Uh, Wait, uh, you said the Raptors were favorited tonight? Yeah. Man, the Rockets still have a bunch of good players. I don't understand how mm-hmm. they're favorited, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Raptors are... You see Cam Whitmore, Jalen Green, Shangoon. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of tweets about uh, the Super Bowl stuff, and it's true. Like, most, a lot of people are agreeing that the, the big Super Bowl party is fun if you don't care at all about the football. If you don't care at all about the football, you go to a big Super Bowl party. Yeah. If you care about the Super Bowl by yourself or with your, like, one good friend... 
the one person that you like to watch football with. I don't think I, no, I got a couple of buddies I like to watch football with. I do, but they're no, they're some of my more quiet friends. Because that's the the beauty of watching it alone uh-huh. or with a couple of quiet friends is hearing the call. I don't know if it's cause, just because we're in media, but that's, that's what sticks a, with me a lot. That's actually a good point for this one. Because it's Romo again, right? Yeah. Big big game for him, too. I, I think that it's too far gone, though. I don't think there's anything he can do to work oh, himself really? out from under the... Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, think it's, I think it's done. This is what I'm saying is modern-day sports takes, a lot of them are generally just the decision's already been made. I don't, I don't think that there's a scenario. You know, you know how Romo would win? I hate saying this. Romo wins if the Kelsey proposal actually does happen. If the Chiefs were to win and he proposed on the field, which is not going to happen. If you bet that, you're the biggest sucker on planet Earth. But if that did happen, if Kelsey did propose and she said yes, and Romo's been doing that whole bit about how he's married to her, that's his wife, then there would be like a real moment for Tony Romo. But outside of that... Everybody already knows that whatever he says about Mahomes is going to be way too over the top because people think that he's just way too obsessed with Mahomes and he freaks out and they all do the impression of him whenever Mahomes is doing anything great. So if you're a Niners fan, you're going into this saying, we're screwed, we're not even going to get talked about well at all. So anybody that's cheering for the Niners, which I feel like is a lot. I still think a lot of people are viewing the Chiefs as kind of the the evil empire that's winning too many games. That, that's when you truly know you are a dynasty is when everybody starts to turn on you and get sick of you. That's not where I'm at. I'm, and again, I know I would be rooting against the Niners, but in general, I don't think that there'd be too many teams outside of like the Lions, obviously the Seahawks, but if there was a representative from the NFC, I can't think of any teams that I would be rooting for against the Chiefs. They, they haven't hit that mode for me yet where they feel unstoppable or that they feel dynastic to the point of I just want fresh blood or I want something new. I find myself as I'm getting older cheering for the dynasty teams too. Now I, I'm realizing the value of those. Like I, I'm, I, I don't like the NHL as much with this whole parody thing where every, everyone can win every single year or the NBA that they moved away, that they made this rule. That's going to make it harder for teams like the warriors to stay together. I think that's really stupid. Like imagine the NBA that, that didn't have the, these warriors teams. They, they get garnered so much interest in the league. You meet a kid now, and they're all Warriors fans. You can't get a ticket to a Warriors game in town because everybody now is a Warriors fan because they were a dynasty. It's just it's far more compelling and it's more interesting to me to see greatness than mediocrity. Like, hey, Leaf fans, wouldn't you rather wouldn't you like to see a great team? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice over this just pile of mediocrity that you get every single year? You might have great individual talent, but not a lot of great teams. So I'm more sentimental and I'm more. I've got more of a favorable opinion about dynasties now. So maybe that's part, that's part of the chiefs thing. I don't love the chiefs. I rooted against them in the Baltimore game. I rooted against them. I've rooted against them when they've played Buffalo, but I want to see it. I want to see three Super Bowls for Mahomes. I want to see three for Reed. I want to have that stake moving forward. I I love having the potential Brady chase in there, have the Patriots fans sweat that out, have all the conversations of, is he the greatest and blah, blah, blah. That's way more fun. That's way more compelling to me. Anyways, uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars, do all those nice things. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy your parties. Enjoy your snacks. Sorry that I crapped on it. It's going to be great. But yeah, if you're a football fan. Commercials too. We forgot. There's some cool commercials. Sometimes. I, I, yeah, sometimes I still don't think we get all the, the best commercials and then you got to watch them separately. And that's always weird. It's like 
searching commercials. Everybody skips, everybody skips the YouTube ad once, bang, as soon as you can do it. And then for some reason, we're Googling the Super Bowl ads. Anyways, uh, have a great weekend, and we'll see you down at the Raptors game tonight.